Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 55 of The Witcher, chapter, chapter, chapter by chapter, rather, book review, where I'll go through a summary of the latest chapter and give my detailed thoughts on it. Today, I'm discussing chapter nine from The Lady of the Lake. Wow, you'd think 55 episodes in, I would have that intro down, but I guess not. Um, okay, no tangents, no... Uh, whatever, um, nothing to keep us from going into what happens in this episode because I have more notes than I've ever had. This is a long chapter. So much happens. Uh, it's arguably one of the most important chapters, most eventful, the, the, some of the most wild things that happen in this entire series happens in this chapter. So we're going to go right in uh, by starting with the recap, as we usually do, followed by the summary, and then we're going to discuss at length what happened in that chapter. So um, let's, well, yeah, let's kick that off. So for the recap, uh, I'm going to tell you what happened when we left off with Siri, Geralt, and Yennefer, because that's who we follow in this chapter. So we left off with Siri as she was traveling to and from different worlds and times until she was directed to Vilgefortz's castle through a portal created by Nimue. We left off with Geralt also on his way with the rest of the company to Vilgefortz's castle. And we left off with Yennefer as a prisoner in, where was it? You guessed it. It was Vilgefortz's castle. And it's okay that I said that the term Vilgefortz's castle so many times. It's okay because that's where the whole chapter takes place. So it's fine. All right. Here's the summary of chapter nine. In an attempt to rescue Yennefer, Ciri is captured by Vilgefortz, who is happy to have her in his clutches and impregnate her in a non-traditional procedural way while the likes of Leo Bonhar and Stefan Skellen watch. Luckily, Geralt and the company show up before Vilgefortz can do anything. But unluckily, Milva, Gahir, Angolem, and Regis all get killed during the rescue mission. So sad. Siri manages to kill Boneheart and Geralt and Yennefer. I'm sorry, she doesn't manage to kill Geralt and Yennefer. Siri manages to kill Boneheart, and then Geralt and Yennefer work together to kill Vilgefortz, which Geralt, after a lot of brutal fighting, eventually does with the help of the amulet given to him by Fringilla. Siri, Geralt, and Yennefer are finally reunited, and as they attempt to leave Staga Castle, Skellen's men try to attack them, but Geralt and Ciri hold off their attempts long enough until Emperor Amir and his soldiers show up and arrest Skellen. Geralt meets with Amir privately, and it's in this moment that Amir's identity is revealed. He's also Ciri's father, Dooney, from A Question of Price. So we've met this guy. He's Ciri's father. So... Big twist. He tells Geralt about how he became emperor and how Pavetta really did die. So Dooney didn't die, but Pavetta did. And how even though she's his daughter, he still wants to marry Ciri to beget a child with her to save the world. Yuck. Uh, 
He also says that the secret of his real relationship to Siri needs to die, and so do the people who know it. So he arranges to have a bath filled for Geralt and Yennefer where they can take their lives while he takes Siri to Nilfgaard to become Empress. But after Siri leaves with him and can't stop uncontrollably crying, he sends her back to Yen and Geralt and they're allowed to live. Meanwhile, the Lodge receives news of Vilgefortz's death and ensures that Stiga Castle is utterly destroyed. Well, clearly with the death of some beloved characters, this is a very sad chapter. And it's a shame we finally get the reunion between Geralt, Yen, and Ciri. We've been waiting for so long for that. And there's the defeat of Vilgefortz and Boneheart, but it's just hard to celebrate these feats since it happened immediately following the company's deaths. So it's not what you would call a happy story, even with all these good things that came out of it. Um, but that's actually how it goes in stories and in life a lot too, not with these particular circumstances, but um, sometimes when good things happen, bad things have to happen uh, before you can accomplish those good things. And um, yeah, and it sucks. It doesn't always go that way, but it sucks when it does. And this is a, uh, this chapter is one of those. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so let's go through and uh, talk about everything that happened and get that all detailed out. Um, the chapter, this is a very normal thing in these books. Uh, it goes back and forth between different scenes a lot. Uh, it does stay within the castle the whole time, except for that very quick last bit at the end with the lodge. But um, so it, it, it goes back and forth between like Ciri's perspective and Geralt's perspective. Um, I will bounce around a little bit, but not as often as the um, book does. So I might go through some of the events a little bit out of order, but they kind of still happen simultaneously. It's just, I'm not going like, to... Okay, for example, like um, it covers the deaths of Cahir and Angolem before it covers the death of Regis. But I'm going to talk about Regis before I talk about them. But anyway, now that you know that, we'll go through um, starting from the top. So the chapter starts out with Ciri arriving in Ebbing at Stiga Castle after arriving via the portal that Nimue opened for her at the end of chapter seven. So just two chapters back. So like I said, we left off with her. She was going um, from world to world from time to time. And that comes to an end when she gets here because this is her destination. Um, she When she arrives, she knows knows she just somehow can tell that this is the correct place in time and as she's approaching the castle she first sees a group of men including Boreas Mun I don't know if it's pronounced Boreas but that's how I'm gonna say it uh Boreas Mun and another name not sure pronunciations uh Dacre Dacre something Siliphant uh but they're two of Stefan Skellen's men who were on the ice when she was terrorizing that whole group back in the Tower of the Swallow uh, so Boreas Mun warns her about coming here and he tells her she should leave. Like, no, you definitely want to turn back. This is not the place you want to be. But of course, she wants to rescue Yennefer, so she has no intention of leaving. 
And then Skellen comes on out and he gestures to her to follow him. And after she walks away, uh, Silifan reproaches Mun a bit for acting neutral towards Siri. He's not necessarily nice, friendly, warm, but he's not mean to her. And I guess that was the problem that Silifan had with how Mun uh, talked to her. Um, And he, he doesn't like it because she killed some of their companions on the ice. But Mun expresses that he feels bad for her since he knows um, once she goes into that castle, bad things are going to be done to her um, because those are evil men in there. And they themselves must not be very good people if they're serving these evil men. So Mun is feeling a little bit of guilt and he's showing some humanity compared to most of the bad characters and those who follow the bad characters in this series. So that's pretty interesting. But... We return to Siri, who's now in the castle, and she's not really feeling very much emotion at first when she goes in there, but when she sees Boneheart, she's overwhelmed by fear. And he quickly shows that he hasn't lost his sick desire to hurt her as he grips her up and he threatens to bleed her dry. But before he can actually do anything, he's interrupted by Vilgefortz, who instantly starts making the situation even more terrifying for her. Uh, He tells her she won't be able to use her abilities to escape from him. And without even needing proof of that, she believes that because she can sense this dark, evil magic and it's penetrating her. And she can tell that that is preventing her from escaping using the um, elder blood powers that she has where she can travel to different places and times at will. Um, And she came here thinking... That if she was about to be killed or harmed, she could just quickly use those powers to get herself to safety, but she doesn't realize that this isn't an option until she's already there in the clutches of her enemies. So by the time she knows that that option is not available, it's too late. So uh, she's definitely in a bit of a pickle, but she tells Vilgefortz to let Yennefer go, and then she'll let him do whatever he wants with her. But of course, he doesn't agree to this. It's, well, he can do what, whatever he wants without accepting any of Ciri's terms. So he kind of laughs at her for that. Like, yeah, um, no, I'm going to keep Yennefer, and I'm going to do what I want with you, because who's going to stop me? I'm evil. I do what I want, and you have to just deal with that. So um, after that, he says, to the laboratory, and they take her to his lab. Um, It's this scary place. She's really afraid of it. Uh, It's probably what I would imagine. It's probably similar to... Uh, Avalok's lab, which we didn't get to see, thankfully, because um, Avalok, it was just mentioned that he had a a lab and that he could do um, probably something very similar with Ciri, like Vilgefortz was intending to do. Um, So he goes on to tell her, once they get to the lab, uh, about his perverse desire for absolute power and how he can obtain that power he wants with Ciri's abilities as long as he can access them. Um, But if he wants to obtain her powers, he needs to do this sick procedure to her where they would strap her to this metal chair and drug her and basically impregnate her using a syringe. And once that's complete, he'll somehow extract the placenta after it develops and then use the blood from the placenta to somehow get access to Ciri's special abilities. So that's... um, so, and it, it's not something I think she's meant to survive. I don't think while she is still alive, I don't think she would 
be um, the least bit comfortable. Uh, it's probably very painful, but uh, we don't have to find out through her experience, thankfully. Um, and uh, so, yeah, he's going over what he's going to do to her. And Boneheart and Skellen naturally are present for this. And uh, right before Vilgefortz is going to force Siri into the chair, Boneheart makes the brilliant suggestion of bringing Yen in to w witness what's about to happen to Siri. And Vilgefortz is like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's let's do that. Let's someone go get Yen and make her watch uh, as we torture this uh, young lady who we who she considers to be a daughter. Um, but before anything can happen, before they do anything to Siri, before they bring Yen in, Geralt and the company have begun storming the castle. And some of the mercenaries burst into the lab, informing them of the invasion. So everyone, except for a few lackeys, are left with Siri in the lab. Actually, at first, Vilgefortz tells Skellen to go deal with it. But Skellen doesn't want to go with his mercenaries alone because he thinks that it's Amir's army. So I guess um, he thought that uh, he's probably terrified of Amir um, after he betrayed him as badly as he did. And he also... Um, probably knows that Amir's army is w going to overtake or capable of overtaking him and his small little group of mercenaries easily. Um, but what, it's interesting, though, because even though uh, Skellen was wrong here, it wasn't Amir's army, it was Geralt and the company, um, Amir and his soldiers do, in fact, show up um, not long from this time here. So we'll cut over to the courtyard outside the castle for a moment to discuss the company arriving at the castle. Uh, Boreas Munn and another one of Skellen's newer men are there, they're talking, and Regis shows up at the gate and he asks them to open up. And since they're already spooked by the sudden arrival of a bunch of blackbirds and also Ciri's black horse, they think these are omens, uh, they don't question who Regis is, they don't ask him any questions, they just open the gate for him and let him in. And then Geralt, Milva, Kahir, Angolem ride in and start killing the men outside. They don't kill Mun though, uh, Mun then tells them the correct direction that they need to head in to rescue Siri, and Geralt thanks him for that. So this guy, he's been working for Skellen for a while now, yet he's helping his enemies, he's helping Skellen's enemies, and showing like almost this kindness to Siri. He's like trying to aid in getting her rescued by these other people. Um, I'm not trying to say he's a saint, like he's a wonderful person, but he's just not doing what you would expect somebody on the side of uh, the likes of Stefan Skellen to be doing. Um, just must show what working with Skellen does to you if you're uh, not also a terrible person. Also poor leadership on Skellen's part, I'm sure. Well, they all run into the castle and there's a lot of armed men they need to fight and Regis suggests that he fly off to do some reconnaissance and Geralt agrees, yep, that's a good idea, go do that. And the rest of the company can't get too far on their own because there are a bunch of archers that come out and they're shooting at the company. So Milva takes out her bow and she starts shooting back. And she's such a good shot, as we know. And a lot of the archers, she shoots some of them. So a lot of the other ones, they get scared and how accurately she can hit her target and they duck. They all duck, they all hide, except for one. And then there's this moment when we quickly flash back to Milva as a child getting trained by, or trained in archery by her father. And it's this really sweet moment where he's giving her a hard time at first and her eyes start to tear, but then he tells her he loves her. And then it cuts back to the present moment and Milva is shot 
and impaled with an arrow a split second after hitting the man who shot her. And she dies. So Milva is the first casualty among the company. A couple of little things about Milva. She joined the company early on. If you don't count Dandelion, she was the first member. Even though she felt a bit of contempt for Geralt and his mission at first, she changed her mind about him and his efforts to find Ciri and decided to help, which she did tremendously. So rest in peace, Milva slash Maria Baring. Baring? Baring? One of those probably. Uh, she's dead. I can't ask her. Anyway, back to Siri in the lab. So she's alone. She's with these lackeys who are trying to undress her and force her into the chair. And she's fighting back. But she uh, doesn't need to continue fighting back when Regis flies into the room in his bat form. And he starts killing the men, harming her. He's setting off these explosions of, you know, like chemicals and test tubes and whatever. And then he materializes into his human shape while drinking the blood from the neck of one of the men. And he says... He says, there, there are occasions where it's simply impossible not to have a drink. So he relapsed. <laughs> Regis relapses uh, right before his death, too. So I guess if there was ever um, a good time to relapse, it would be right before you die. Not that he knew he was about to die, but uh, that's just the order of how it went. So, um, yeah, I guess it's okay. Can't really fault him knowing what's about to come. So... He explains to Siri that he's here with Geralt. Siri, of course, doesn't know Regis, doesn't know anything about him. He says he's here with Geralt and tries to get her to come with him, but she refuses to go with him, saying that she needs to find Yennefer. And he needs to go tell Geralt to be on his guard for Vilgefortz. So Siri is now free to run around the castle, and Regis returns to Geralt. And when he returns to Geralt, he tells him what Siri said, and Geralt's a little upset that Regis left her alone. Regis kind of defends this decision by saying she didn't really give him a choice and she spoke in a way that you couldn't argue with. And I get what he's saying, but Geralt was right. He really shouldn't have left her alone uh, because Regis is definitely the best defense she could have. Clearly, he's not invincible knowing uh, that he dies in this chapter, but still, that is much better than her being left alone. Um, they maybe could have returned to Geralt together. And then all of them went after Yennefer, went looking for Yennefer as one larger group. And maybe they could have, um, maybe not all died. And, um, but that's not how it goes, probably for plot reasons. Um, so we'll move on. Regis takes back off to create a distraction so that Geralt can continue moving forward and looking for Ciri or Yen. And he finds Yen pretty quickly while these lackeys are dragging her through a corridor and she's struggling to free herself from them. And Geralt pops up on them super fast and starts killing them. And he and Yennefer reunite and she says, I knew you'd come, which is nice. It's nice to see that she had confidence in him coming to rescue her. And then she has him break the dimeridium collar from her neck and the shackles from her wrist with his sword. And since Geralt is such a proficient swordsman and his weapon is this specially crafted dwarven sword, he's able to do this successfully without hurting her. Then the leftover lackeys beg for their lives and Yennefer sends them off. So Geralt and Yen now together go to look for Ciri and Vilgefortz. And um, of course, they come across Vilgefortz first, who engages them in a fight. So let's go through that whole fight. 
and then we'll return to Siri once that part's over. So this is kind of what I was talking about earlier in the episode. Um, this fight, unsurprisingly, is not easy, even though it's two versus one. I mean, uh, you also should consider that Yennefer has been held prisoner for a decent amount of time now, like months upon months. So she's probably pretty weakened from that. Uh, her hands are all damaged and she was tortured. So she's probably not in the best shape to be fighting anybody, any mage, especially Vilgefortz. Um, but we saw from Thana that Vilgefortz is a highly worthy adversary when it comes to combat. And it looks like he maybe got even more deadly since then, either that or he he was just holding back on Thanet a little bit. Um, so he's shooting these large blasts of fire at them, and lightning bolts, and they're, Geralt and Yen are just barely dodging his attacks. And all of the objects that get hit by his magic completely disintegrate into nothing. So it's a good thing that uh, he never actually lands any of these attacks on Geralt or Yen. Um, at one point, this is either pretty cool or pretty ridiculous you decide but Vilgefort sends a blast of fire at Geralt and Geralt is able to defend himself not by jumping aside but by holding up his sword and the flames separate around the sword missing Geralt's body um so that was uh yeah I don't know what to think about that you it's up to you to decide if you like that or not so um just uh, yeah I guess that's maybe something with those special dwarven swords um, unfortunately, though, the sword isn't able to protect Geralt when Vilgefort sends him flying back until he hits this column really hard. And while Geralt is momentarily incapacitated, Vilgefort levitates Yennefer and makes movements with his hands like he's wringing out a wet rag, which causes her to scream in pain. And it's in this moment that Regis shows up and starts fighting Vilgefort. And uh, he does a bit of damage, and he holds Vilgefortz off of Geralt and Yennefer for a little bit. Um, so it wasn't totally useless. Um, he definitely helps. And Geralt warns the vampire to beware. I mean, he makes sure that Regis, or he tries to make sure that Regis understands what he's up against. Beware. Uh, because Regis is going to be confident. He's very lethal. He's very strong and powerful. And he just kind of says, I didn't come here to beware. And then he attacks Vilgefortz again. And it seemed like he was going to actually defeat him until Vilgefortz seized Regis with his hands that suddenly glowed like red hot iron, burning and mutilating him. So he's tearing Regis apart. And then he pushes him back against a column and shot white fire directly at him until the column behind him completely melted and Regis along with it. I could cry. Oh, I hate it. <laughs> I hate it so much. Regis was a kind and generous man who was stumbled upon by the company during the time when they were joined by Zoltan and his crew. He invited them all back to his home for his homemade mandrake moonshine, he got along with everyone so well that he was welcome to join them on their travels. He continued to show his kindness by helping strangers and the rest of the company alike, and even Geralt couldn't turn him away when he discovered that Regis was a monster. And later, when Yen asks Geralt if Regis was human, Geralt answers by saying he was the epitome of humanity. So rest in peace, Regis.
That sucks. Well, the face-off between Vilgefortz and Geralt must continue, and it does, and they fight. Geralt using his sword and Vilgefortz using his staff or bar, as it's called in this chapter. Uh, Vilgefortz is beating Geralt again and close to totally defeating him until Geralt grabs the amulet given to him by Fringilla, and then all of Vilgefortz's blows begin to miss their target. And Geralt uses this opportunity to deliver a couple of good slashes that finally kill the evil sorcerer. So, Vilgefortz is dead. Geralt killed him, and that's fantastic. So, that's at least some, you know, comeuppance after what he did to um, Regis. Also, all the evil he's just done in general. But, um, I don't know, I always find it kind of a bummer when people as evil as Vilgefortz uh, just die kind of quickly like that. Like after everything that he's done, all, after all the suffering that he's caused, it seems like he got off easy. I mean, he was going to die someday anyway. Well, maybe. Who knows? Uh, with all the power he wanted and how powerful he was, it seemed as if there was a... Uh, maybe he, <laughs> it was possible that he, he could have lived forever. Um, luckily, that's not the case. But um, it was a bit confusing here uh, how Geralt was able to get that opportunity because... After he kills Vilgefortz, Yennefer comes over and she says, oh, I didn't know you knew how to use illusory spells. And he's like, oh, no, it's my amulet. That's that's how I was doing that. And then she says that oh, we we can thank Siri for um, um, Vilgefortz not being able to uh, measure like the distance or um, for his depth perception or whatever it was being off because it was his eye. His eye was exploded on Thanon in the Tower of the Gull when Siri used the portal. And um, then he regenerated this new eye, this tiny little grotesque eye that would spin around. And Yen says that that's why he was he kept missing when he was trying to hit Geralt. But she also acknowledges the illusory spells. I don't know. So that I was th I don't know. Maybe it was just a combination of both of those things that helped. Maybe Billigfords would have recognized it. Uh, I read it many times, so there it, it's not clear. Trust me. <laughs> but if you've got a theory, let me know. Um, but yeah, it would just have to be your own interpretation. Um, but I'm always open to suggestions when these things are confusing. After reading it so many times, and I still don't get it. I'm like, okay, I think it was just confusing. Or maybe um, the copy that I have is just written in such a way that <clears throat> makes it um, not very clear, um, like the translation, because these books are originally written in Polish. So anyway, um, I tried to, I'm trying to not go off into these in, unimportant side things in this episode, because I, I know this is going to be a long one. Okay. Um, Let's return to Siri. So Siri, meanwhile, while this is going on, she's looking for Yennefer. She does not know where to look in this vast castle. So she starts calling out her name, screaming her name, and she doesn't find Yennefer, but she finds Boneheart, or Boneheart finds her. So he tells her that he thought that he'd relish watching Vilgefortz operate on her, but instead he wishes to kill her himself. So he challenges her to a fight. And she knows she's not ready. She's still too afraid of him. Um, so what she does is she tries to use her abilities to escape. And she feels ashamed of doing this because she doesn't want to leave Geralt and Yennefer to fight alone. But she knows that she's not ready. So she tries to use her abilities, but she only ends up on the other side of the room. 
since there's so much magic in the castle preventing her from fully accessing her power, she's not able to go any further than just the other side of the room. But it's good enough for now um, for her to be able to run away from him. And when she starts running, she comes across Kahir and Angolem. And she only sees Kahir at first. And although it's been a while, she remembers him. She remembers him well, especially because he's wearing that damn winged helmet again. So that didn't help. Um, it didn't help in the case of her not being terrified. Uh, because don't forget, Siri hasn't learned anything that we've learned about Kahir. She doesn't know that he has become a good guy. So when she sees him, she thinks, oh my god, what the heck is up with this maniac? He's followed me all the way from Thaned. Like, this guy is crazy. I gotta deal with Vilga Ford's bone heart, and now this guy just shows up out of nowhere. What is his problem? Um, but then Angolem peeks out from behind Kahir and Siri sees this younger girl. Um, she starts to feel a little less worried. And then Kahir and Angolem start to fight the lackeys that are trying to attack Siri. And um, actually, it's in this moment when one of the men stabs Angolem and she just passes it off as, oh, it's not that big of a deal. I'm fine. Um, but once these pursuers have been killed, Kahir goes on to introduce himself to Siri and he tells her that he came here with Geralt and she believes him, but their introductions are interrupted when Boneheart returns and Siri tells them to run, knowing that she they, they can't beat him, she can't beat him, um, he's the devil incarnate, let's just run, um, but Kahir steps up to the challenge and Siri tries to pass Kahir off to Boneheart as the Witcher. And when Boneheart thinks that Kahir might be the Witcher, he pulls out his Witcher wolf, cat, and griffin medallions to show Kahir that he could, that he is capable of beating Witchers. I'm like, oh, I've already killed three Witchers. Oh, I'm about to add a fourth to my collection. So Kahir tells Siri and Angolem to run and help Geralt, and then he fights Boneheart and loses. So right before Boneheart takes Kahir's life, we get a little flashback from when Kahir was a young boy at his brother's funeral. And he remembers seeing his mother after she had been crying for days um, at the loss of her son. And her face is swollen and puffy and he thinks she she's usually very comely, but she looks so ugly. And uh, she makes him promise to hate all Nordlings since his brother died in a battle fighting the Nordlings and he promised her that he would hate them. Um, which he doesn't keep that promise, of course. So Kahir is the next um, member of the company to die. I don't know if it was, it was probably before um, Regis. It could have been at the same time. It was told to us at least before Regis's death was explained, but I ordered it differently. So Kahir started out as a mysterious, scary villain pursuing Siri and Sintra and again later on Thaned, and then joined the company after persistently following them when Geralt kept threatening to kill him. But he didn't give up. As it turned out, uh, he felt like he loved Ciri and he needed to see her again. And he did get to see her again, one last time before his death. So rest in peace, Kahir. Well, Siri and Angolem are running away, but Siri has to support Angolem from the stab wound that she got, and she just keeps getting more and more slow, and it was way worse than she thought it was, and then they need to just sit down on the floor because she can't even really walk anymore. And Siri tries tending 
to Angolem's wound, but it's no use. And Angolem starts asking Siri if she's really a queen, if she, if she can make Angolem a countess and Sintra. And Siri tells her not to speak, and Angolem says that she knew it would be a better idea to open up a brothel in Tucson. And those were her last words. So Angolem was a troubled, lost criminal who found purpose and companionship in Geralt's company. One of the last things she says before she dies is that she didn't think she'd really find Siri. She didn't think that they would all find Siri, but she followed Geralt because it's impossible not to follow him. She provided a lot of laughs and helped make the reunion between Geralt and Siri possible. So rest in peace, Angolem. Ugh, so sad. God, that's sad. <sighs> okay, so Boneheart catches up with Siri again, and this time she decides she's got to fight him. It's time. She's not ready, but she's got to do it. So the fight goes on for a while, and they eventually move into this area in the castle that's been destroyed. Um, there's a lot of commotion going on in the background of the castle during this because of the fight with Vilgefortz against Carol and Yennefer. And, um... They're fighting on these narrow beams, so they're standing above the, the floor on these beams, so it's not, it got even more difficult with that, but I guess it got more difficult for both of them. So now she's got to balance and try to defend her life against this extremely competent swordsman, but she manages to get the better of him, um, probably since she fought him before and got a little bit used to his moves and she might have just developed her skill a little bit. Um, so she, she has learned, she's grown. And she slashes him and he goes down without dying immediately. He gets back up and he goes back on the attack, which she thinks back to the pendulum at Kaer Morton. And she jumps onto another beam and she jumps back to the beam that he's on. But this time she gets behind him and does some swishy sword action and delivers the blow that renders him helpless. And he falls off the beam onto the floor below and he's dying. And Siri jumps down to meet him. And he kind of begs her not to finish him off. And she's about to walk away. And then he lunges at her with a knife. Ugh, of course she does. Um, but she turns around at the very last second and she slashes him one more time. Of course, uh, Boneheart, after going down, wouldn't go down easily. But she wins and he's dead. And no, he doesn't get a little eulogy and rest in peace. Screw that guy. Moving on. I don't even want to talk about him that much longer I'm just, just except for just being happy that he's dead evil man Vilgefortz and Boneheart are now dead it happened in the same chapter which is great okay so there you go there's some happiness after um how sad I just got talking about uh, the death of the company members um Geralt Yen and Siri they finally have their reunion so they see her and Geralt says good to see you again which I thought sounded really formal and unfamiliar, um, especially considering the circumstances, but they've all just been through a lot, so I'll, I'll let it go, I'll let it slide and move on. Um, Yennefer makes a little, she makes a little silly by telling her to tidy her hair and not to stoop, which is a total Yennefer thing to say, and then they, and they hug. And while they're hugging, Geralt sees Yennefer's deformed fingers from when she was tortured. So he's made more aware of the torture that she endured. And there's actually a little while later, not in this moment, but a little while later, he sees streaks of white in Ciri's hair, which uh, probably is from extreme stress. And it's said that he doesn't feel anger or hatred when he sees her fingers, when he sees Ciri's hair. 
Uh, he just feels weariness. After all the trouble he's gone through since Thanad, and losing his friends just now, and defeating his enemies with much difficulty, he probably just doesn't have it in him anymore. At least not in this moment to feel anger or hatred. He's understandably just tired. While they're leaving the castle and arrive at the top of a large staircase that they need to descend in order to exit the castle, and it's the same staircase that Ciri has seen in her dreams multiple times throughout the series, and Geralt is usually there when she sees the staircase in her dreams, and there's usually a lot of blood, so it was a prophetic dream that she had had. But she uh, takes out her Witcher medallions, her newly acquired Witcher medallions. She got those off of Bonehard's body. And she puts the cat one around her neck and she gives Geralt the wolf one. So Geralt has a wolf medallion again after his gut burned up in the Druid Grove. And uh, he says something to her like, oh, you know, this is just a symbol, right? And she says, everything is just a symbol. And then they start walking down the steps and Tawny Owl and his men. So they're not done fighting yet. Tawny Owl and his men are at the bottom and he's ordering them to kill Geralt and Ciri. And a few at a time start charging at them, but Geralt and Ciri are killing them. And there's one point where one of them shoots a crossbow bolt at them and Geralt tries to stand in front of Ciri. Um, so she doesn't get hit, but she jumps out and then she deflects the bolt with her sword. Um, and we've seen Geralt do that and it's really impressive when even he does it. And we, we know that he's really skilled, but still that's impressive. But um, it's pretty wild that Ciri can do it. And she's gone through the Witcher training, but she hasn't been through the Trial of Grasses. So you'd think she'd be missing some of the components that make Witchers so adept with these sort of things. But apparently not. Apparently she, um, all of the fighting that she's done since then and the training in Caramoran was enough. I don't know that she could do it all the time. Uh, maybe she just got lucky there. But yeah, she deflects it with her sword and that's pretty cool. Uh, so... They continue down the stairs, uh, they're fighting and they're killing side by side and they have to keep doing this and there's so much blood and they are, um, yeah, they're just fighting these guys until a bunch of Nilfgaardian soldiers come bursting out of all of the corridors and ordering everyone to drop their weapons. And after Tawny Al's men get tied up and taken away, one of the officers, one of the Nilfgaardian officers approaches Tawny Al and tells them that he'll be tried and punished for treason, and then he's taken away. And we already know his fate. We already know that he's executed. Um, we learned that in the previous book from Joanna or Kenna Selborn, um, who was telling her side of the story from the future. She says that Tanya was executed. Um, then the officer approaches Geralt, Siri, and Yen, and he first asks about Vilgefortz and Cahir, to which Geralt shakes his head, indicating that they're dead. And then the officer says, you've traveled a long way, Witcher. Then he calls Dorito, Vatir Dorito, he's there. And um, Dorito addresses the officer as your Imperial Majesty. So this is how we, and then also Geralt Yen and Siri learned that this officer was really Emperor Amir. So he asks Dorito to find a private chamber where he and Geralt can speak privately. And they enter that chamber. And Amir says again that Geralt's traveled a long way, and Geralt replies by saying, I'm sure... No, he doesn't say I'm sure. He says, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure you haven't traveled further, Dooney. So this is the moment. This is the grand reveal of Amir's true identity. Ciri's father, who Geralt met in Sintra 16 years ago. So, yeah... 
huge twist, probably the biggest twist of the series. Um, I don't like to make um, absolute declarations like that, but I, you know, it's probably <laughs> it's the biggest twist of the series. Um, I'm sure a lot of people who read these books, uh, that's what I've heard. At least a lot of people knew what was going on before. Um, if you play The Witcher 3, that is spoiled for you. Um, if you play that before reading the books, I um, am guilty of that. I wish that I read the books before playing the game, but that's just not how it happened for me. So this wasn't a huge shock. Um, I knew it was going to come eventually. But yeah, this is that moment where it's revealed to the reader. Um, and uh, yeah, Amir is... He's surprised that Geralt was able to recognize him because apparently a lot of people that he knew from the past usually don't recognize him. He says he carries himself in a new way and he doesn't have a beard anymore. But Geralt says he didn't recognize him. He wouldn't have. He just worked out a while ago that they were the same person. So he says that he guessed that that was the case with the hint from someone else. He doesn't say who that someone else is, but he must be talking about Codringer and Fen. I had a couple of other ideas of who um, could have provided that hint. Like I thought maybe when Avalok told Geralt that Emperor Amir knew about Ciri's Elder Blood and the prophecy, um, that that could have tipped him off. But that's a little too vague and it's not really enough for him to go off of. I also thought that maybe Fringilla could have mentioned something to Geralt off screen about um, how Amir had a lock of Ciri's hair when she was six years old. But I think if that was the case, then that probably wouldn't have been an off screen thing. Um, I, so I, I don't think that that's what it is. I think it's Codringer and Fen. Uh, it was a while back, but uh, they couldn't work out Dooney's lineage. They were looking him up. They knew a lot of stuff already, and they had this vast library. And um, in their library, that had plenty of books that could tell them um, who was related to who in these royal families, and they couldn't figure out who Dooney was. Uh, he claimed to be from Mayect. I think that's how it's pronounced, but I'm not sure. Um, and any of the royal people or the people from the royal family in that country, uh, there was no Dooney. So that, um, along with a few other clues, probably helped him to get to that conclusion. Like like Amir having such a special interest in finding Ciri. I mean, it's no secret that Amir has been trying to get Ciri for a long time, um, which you can chalk that up to um, Amir's desire to solidify his conquest over Sintra. But that's a little extreme considering how desperately he was trying to get her. I mean, I get, you could still make that argument, but um, I think that combined with the fact that they couldn't figure out where Dooney came from is what led to Geralt working that out on his own. And he's not a dumb guy. Uh, we've seen that demonstrated time and time again. Um, also, Geralt says that he dreamed about the most hideous incest imaginable. And here you are, here, here you are, Amir, Dooney. Um, so I think that's also part of it, but um, yeah, the incest, even though Amir is Ciri's father, those intentions he has had of marrying her, um, that, that wasn't a farce. That wasn't, uh, something that's gone away. He still wants to take Ciri and marry her so that he can save the world because of her elder blood. And he's familiar with the prophecy and Geralt suggests that, um, Amir was made aware of this prophecy in the Elder Blood from Vilgefortz. That's how, um, that's what Geralt is suggesting, how uh, Amir originally found out about it. And Amir denies this and he explains how it all went down from the beginning until now. So he gives 
his story. Some of it is kind of left out because we already know it, but he says that his father was overthrown as emperor of Nilfgaard. He was imprisoned and tortured by the usurper um, so that he could um, work with them or give them information. And when he wouldn't break under torture, a sorcerer, a hired sorcerer, turned a 13-year-old Amir into a monster in front of him. And he chose a hedgehog-like creature to change him into because in their language, Amir means urchin. Uh, well, when his father still wouldn't break, they killed him. They set Amir free in the woods and they sent dogs after him, but he survived, clearly, and found help among old loyal friends. One of them being Zarthesius, the astrologer that helped him rescue, or not rescue, I'm sorry, locate Ciri in the Korath Desert. So Zarthesius sent Amir searching for a cure to this um, hedgehog uh, curse in the north. And that is what led to the whole thing with the law of surprise with Pavetta and the rest was covered in a question of price. So if you need a refresher on that, uh, you can go watch my episode where I cover that or go reread that story. It's a good one. So it's um, fun to read again anyway. Uh, but shortly after Ciri was born, that was when he met Vilgefortz, who offered to help him retake the throne in Nilfgaard, and he explained the prophecy to him, which is when he decided uh, in order to save the world, he would need to beget a child with his daughter, Ciri. Uh, so gross. So when the time was right, he decided to return to Nilfgaard and claim the throne, but he needed to bring Ciri with him to accomplish his plans. Oh, and that was a hard thing to do because Calanthe, Ciri's grandmother, the queen of Sintra, she wouldn't allow that. She's not going to allow him to take Ciri uh, with him, even though she was his, or he was her father. And to this, Geralt says, she never trusted you. And Geralt knew. He's like, oh, Calanthe never trusted you. And Amir agrees, saying, I think she knew something about that prediction. I agree with this. I think Calanthe knew. I think Calanthe worked out who Amir was. Um, maybe not early on, maybe like towards the end of um, uh, him living in Sindra, being Dooney. Uh, she must have worked out who he was based on, um, uh, not, this isn't how she learned, but I, I believe this. This is a, um, what I think based on um, something that Crack on Crate says earlier. So, in the chapter in the previous book where Yen is in Skellige and she is about to sail to the Sedna Abyss, she's talking with Crack and he's telling her about like Siri and Sintra and Calanthe. And um, he says that when Sintra was sieged by Nilfgaard, Calanthe, right before she died, I guess, was advised that if she died, that they should have Siri capitulate instead of going with her orders, her original orders, to have Siri spirited away out of Sintra. And the reason that Calanthe didn't want her to capitulate, wanted to risk her life, wanted to risk Siri's life instead, was because it would be better for her blood to spill on the streets rather than to have it defiled. And then Yennefer finishes this sentence when Crack is telling the story, and she says, by a filthy Nilf guardian. But of course, Yen didn't know the truth, so she just thought that Calanthe was simply a bigot against Nilfgaardians. But I believe that Calanthe knew who Amir was and what his plans were for Ciri. And she thought that it would have been better when Nilfgaard was trying to invade and um, slaughter everybody. It would have been better if Ciri just got killed than um, being forced to have a 
baby with her dad. Ugh, I don't even like saying those fucking words out loud. That's just so wrong. Um, but yeah, that's a judgment call. Um, would you rather die than do that? Let's not talk about it. Let's move on. Um, so the only way that Amir could return to Nilfgaard without raising suspicion was to fake the deaths of Dooney, Pavetta, and Ciri in a staged shipwreck aided by Vilgefortz. So he wasn't going to let Pavetta or Ciri die. The three of them were supposed to get into this protected lifeboat, this magically secured lifeboat. But Pavetta, she knew something was up. We don't know anything about how, what Pavetta knew or how she knew it, but she did know that something was up. And at the very last minute, she sent Ciri off the boat. And that, when Amir finding out that she was, uh, Siri wasn't there, that pissed him off. He fell into a fury and they got into this fight and Pavetta, quote unquote, fell overboard. Uh, he either pushed her or somehow in the fight it happened. But yeah, he was responsible for her falling overboard and dying. And um, the reason she died um, was because the um, maelstrom that Vilgefortz created started immediately after. And um, he surprisingly said that he, he, he felt and he still feels really bad about Pavetta's death. And he says that even though he didn't really love her, it doesn't change that. God, there's so many lies in that question of Price story. Uh, not that the way it was written was a lie, just uh, Dooney, uh, the guy. You feel so bad for him when you read that story for the first time. You find out he's just super full of shit. Um... Yeah, it's like he's not really who he says he is. He didn't really love Pavetta. It seemed like at the very least that could have been a nice little love story, even though um, the, this guy had these disgusting incestuous intentions. But um, no, no love, no, no nothing special. It was all a big lie. So the prophecy. Gosh, I usually do not talk this long i don't think um i think the most recent episode was pretty long but yeah we're we still got a little ways to go uh i don't know if you get this way if you talk for a while but it kind of starts to become um irritating like my throat is just uh, okay let's let's wrap this up um so the prophecy along with pre pressure from um these military higher-ups in the aristocracy in Nilfgaard, um they are they are trying to pressure Amir into gaining additional living space. And that was part of why he um, invaded Sintra. And um, when the story ends, Geralt just wants to move on. And um, he understands that Amir is going to have him killed because he wants the secret of Ciri's parentage to die. And Geralt is just accepting of that. And he argues for Yennefer to live, but Amir says, no, can't do that. Can't allow it because she's going to do whatever she has to do to get Siri back. And she'll, she's also going to want to avenge your death. So um, he does agree to let them take their own lives in this bath. And he has one prepared and he lets them say bye to Siri. So Geralt and Yen tell Siri that she has to go with the emperor. She has to go to Nilfgaard. And they say goodbye. Siri, of course, is very resistant to this and says no and gets in Amir's face. And in front of his men, too, she does this and she tells him, like, oh, I'll skate from you and I'll bite your throat out while you're sleeping. And um, But Geralt and Yen tell her it's got to be this way. And then she um, she says goodbye to them and Amir escorts them, Amir escorts them uh, to the bath and promises that he won't hurt Siri. 
So they get in the tub and they have a little little love making sesh because what else are you gonna do when you know you're about to die? Then as instructed, they call the guards to bring them the knife so they can go through with the deed. And instead of a guard entering the room, Siri pops her little head in. So they get dressed and Geralt and Yan are very confused about the change of plans. And Siri is basically just like, yeah, I don't know, it's weird, right? Uh, but really, uh, she recalls in her head how when they left, she cried really hard. And then Amir just approached her, hugged her, called her his daughter, and then let her return. So this is Amir showing some humanity and sympathy, something he probably doesn't show very often, certainly has shown the opposite of many times, but it's also pretty crazy. <laughs> He's been intensively searching for Siri, trying to get her uh, pretty much since he lost her years and years ago, but for reasons, um, or yeah, he's um, he, he wants to save the world. It's something that he thinks is so important. He's willing to do all these atrocious things to get Siri, and then he gets her, and then he just lets her go because he feels bad. I don't know. Um, that's how it goes. So we'll just leave it at that. Uh, quickly, we'll go through the little lodge meeting. It's just a, it's only like a page, top couple pages. Um, but yeah, I've got more concise notes on it here. So. Uh, it's just the wrap-up of the chapters, this lodge meeting. Philippa is announcing to everyone that the group, um, no, no, sorry. She is announcing, gosh, this podcast episode needs to end soon. Uh, she's announcing to the group that Philippa Fords is dead. He was killed by Geralt and she tells them that his hideout was Daiga Castle and they got to destroy that castle. And Fringilla Vigo is there, of course, as a member. And everyone looks at her when it's mentioned that they didn't appreciate the Witcher enough. Um, but she doesn't blush when they when everyone looks at her because she's made this magic cream for her face that uh, made the blood vessels contract just for this very reason. I think she knew that it was going to be um, really embarrassed. She was going to be feeling really embarrassed in these upcoming meetings after um, how she got fooled really bad by Geralt. So... They destroy the castle because they want only one legend to arise out of this story. And I suppose eliminating, eliminating the castle will somehow help with that. But one of the things mentioned here by Philippa is Geralt, Yen, and Ciri are somewhere together in Ebbing. And they ought to ponder over how to find them. So the hunt for Ciri, even with Amir's forfeit, and the deaths of Vilgefort's Boneheart, the arrest of Taniel, still isn't over. The poor girl. Uh, people are still trying to find her, get to her, do whatever they want with her. So it's not over. Okay, closing thoughts. Uh, we finally got that reunion we've been waiting for for so long now. Finally got it here. Um, many antagonists have died, um, but sadly we lost four beloved characters. So this really was a bittersweet chapter. And it's shown in Geralt, Yen, and Ciri's reactions when they all come together. They're relieved to be together, but there's not a lot of joy expressed or celebration since they paid a horrible price for this reunion. Geralt's friends all died. Yen was held prisoner and tortured. And Ciri has been through a long nightmare ever since leaving Thanad. So... The bittersweetness was not only experienced by the reader, but the characters especially. 
looking ahead. Uh, we'll have to see if the Lodge gets their hands on Siri and how that goes if they do. Their plans um, were not as evil as the plans of some of the other people that were after her, but still not good. Um, also, what will Yen, Geralt, and Siri do now that they're finally together? Now just try to escape the Lodge, maybe just, uh, do something nice, peaceful, happy. Um, we'll have to see. We've only got three more chapters left. So not a lot of time, not a lot of pages to go into a detailed conclusion to the story, but there still is uh, some content ahead of us. We're almost done. Well, that's all I have for you, <laughs> as if that wasn't a lot. Okay, just to let you know, in case you didn't, these episodes are available on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for joining, and I'll catch you all in the next episode.